0: Live on tape from the Canadian Jewish News Office in Concord, Ontario. Uh it's the Menschwarmers. Hey everybody, w- welcome back.
1: Uh thanks for having us back into your ears and uh car stereos, maybe. I don't Straight know. Straight into your
0: ear holes. Is there
1: anywhere else that people listen to podcasts? I feel like headphones while you're commuting and
0: in your car. Maybe like lying in bed hearing the dulcet, smooth tones of our voices.
1: It's weird to think of anyone ever like sitting on a couch in their living room and just being like, I'm going to listen to a podcast now as much as I would love them to uh i i don't think of people just listening to podcasts just like, sit and like, idly with it, a cup of coffee yeah give it my at full wall. attention yeah, yeah radio either i mean i listen to radio like when i cook and when i commute but like, yeah other than that i mean sometimes i play video games Anyways. i think
0: people used to listen to the radio as like a sitting down activity oh like, yeah and books. they say
1: they used to just look like look at the radio like you just looked at anything because yeah. like it was so scintillating because it was 1925 and it was the most amazing thing you'd ever heard absolutely uh well wherever you are listening to us we appreciate you coming and joining us for this uh Latest edition of the Mench Warmers. Today our theme is tennis. Uh, soon we'll have an interview with Marvin Glassman. Uh, yeah. Marvin Glassman is a writer for the South Florida Sun Sentinel. He as is, well as
0: the Canadian Jewish News. That's
1: right. He's been writing for the Canadian Jewish News since 1981. And his focus has been covering the Canadian Open, which is currently going on. Uh, we should say that we are taping this on Saturday afternoon. And Bianca Andreescu is currently playing in the semifinals. We
0: uh, speak a lot about the tournament as it's coming uh, and as it's happening with Bianca and the semis. Uh, so, spoiler alert, the tournament will be over by the time this hits your ear holes That's or right. living
1: rooms. You'll already know the results of that tournament. Uh, we have a great conversation with Marvin. talks a lot about the the history of Jews in tennis and more recent history of Jews playing tennis and, and all kinds of things. It is a really mm. interesting conversation.
0: It was a, a really uh, lively back and forth, not unlike... The very game of tennis we're discussing.
1: That's right. Uh, before we get started, we want to mention as well. Uh, again, we want to mention the CJN Prize is currently receiving submissions. It is a essay writing contest for young writers between the ages of eighteen and twenty-nine. Uh, the deadline for submissions is September six, two thousand nineteen, and you can send your entries to the the CJN Prize at the CJN.ca. Uh,
0: that's right. Uh, it's open to all writers in Canada under the age of thirty. Um, who are between the ages of 18 and 29, I should say, so under the age of 30 and above of uh, majority age. Um, I am no longer eligible, Gabe, because, as you know, I just turned 30. Well, happy birthday. Yeah. Um, as well, we know that many Jews consider adulthood the age of bar mitzvah, but us— You must be 18. You must be 18 yeah. to participate in this. But essay. there's prizes. The first prize is $1,800. If, so, If you were to write a personal essay, what do you think it would be about?
1: Ooh, I don't know. I always think of like writing a uh, personal essay for um, facts and arguments. Yeah. Uh, in the Globe, and then I get like three paragraphs in and decide there's a reason I'm not a professional writer. Right.
0: So. Uh, but if there's a topic to you, other than about your favorite Jews and sports, which is what <laughs> essentially this is a personal essay.
1: Right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, on a Jewish theme, I don't know if I have one off the top of my head. Uh, it's, not, it's nothing to do with the Toronto, I guess. Oh, there is something that I was thinking about, which was, I th- thought about this for a while, which is that, um, did you ever go to Open Window when you were a kid, the bakery?
0: Yes, at Bathurst
1: and Yeah, and there was one at Lawrence Plaza as well. Mm -hmm. They used to sell these blueberry buns that I remember my grandfather getting, and I was thinking about it and, like, how much I would like to eat one of those. And Open Window no longer exists. It hasn't for a while.
0: The window is closed.
1: Yeah, and I was looking about this. I was trying to search online. Like, is this a common thing? And apparently it is a Toronto-only thing. Like, mostly a Toronto thing. The blueberry bun. The
0: blueberry bun. Like, the Jewish blueberry bun. Jewish Toronto. There's no Jewish blueberry buns in New York.
1: Apparently not. It's mostly a Toronto thing. And, like, no one really... People were like trying to cobble together recipes and figure out how it is. It was sort of bready, like it was sort of a bready exterior. Anyways, so th- I was talking about this with my, with my, uh, with people in my family last week about like, well, we should try and make this or we should try and bake mm. this somehow. Then, anyways, th- this morning I was at, uh, a Jewish baker. I won't. I won't mention them by name. Uh, it's Harvard Baker. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was at Harvard Bakery this morning, and you they had find, blueberry buns. You can
0: find us uh, 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 on Friday afternoons and Saturday mornings at various Jewish bakery establishments. If you have a Shebagel bagel, you're at. Uh, I love Harvard, Harvard. Baker
1: so much. I will. I will shout them out without without needing to be paid for it. Absolutely. Um, if they want to advertise, it's great. If anyone, if any other Jewish baker wants to wants to take my love of Harvard away by advertising, I, I'm willing to be bought. But uh, I was. Anyways.
0: In Montreal this week, and I, I had a rugelach and a cheese bun. Oh, did you go to Cheskis? Oh, Chesky's was so good. It, was, it is oh, so good. I, that place is great. Yeah, the yeah. little, like, cheese they ricotta great, flour. Yeah, great oh, rugelach. It's unbelievable. The rugelach was so good. And yeah. it was really like an episode of Stiesel in there. Like, there's a lot of, there's all these young men, like, yelling into their flip phones, uh, carrying, like, a plastic bag with rabbinical yeah. studies in the it. The
1: very, very uh, orthodox part of Montreal.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It, it's quite likable. And they're all kind of yelling at each other and... It's, it's but Har- anyway,
1: so Harvard Bakery has the blueberry buns. Um, I don't know. I don't remember seeing them before, and I, I've gone a lot of times. But maybe they only have them in the summer. They mm-hmm. were a little breadier than I remember. Um, like I remember being more of a bread shell than okay. like a, this was more like bread stuffed. It was more like a, a bread stuffed with blueberries. It, but it was you, delicious. If
0: you were Paul Hollywood, sort yeah. of scraping the bottom of this bun with uh, a knife.
1: Yeah, it would. It wouldn't get the Hollywood handshake, but yeah. it it would get. uh it, it would get a good. You'd get on to the next round. You wouldn't be eliminated for the blue bear. You
0: you would be like on in the. He would he would look at it. He would tear it apart with his bare hands. No, it's very good consistency. I mean, finger the inside. Yeah, that's right. He does.
1: Anyways, um, so the blueberry buns at Harvard, uh, I guess I would write about that, but now I, the answer is solved, or the question is solved, by they still make them, apparently, at <laughs> at least one bakery.
0: Well, if you would like to write about your rediscovery of your favorite Jewish baked good, please uh, submit to the CJN contest, the CJN prize for, as we said, uh, uh, it's open until uh, so, uh, September... 6th. 6th, thank you very much. 2019. Um, and if you're under 30 and above the what we call the Canadian legal bar mitzvah, the age of 18, uh, or bat mitzvah, I should say, you are able to uh, submit. So before September 16th, a personal essay, and you could win $100, $1,800. And uh,
1: the CJM Prize is brought to you by the presenting sponsors, the Israel and Golda Koshitsky Center for Jewish Studies at York University, and F&B Kosher, and as always, Canadian Jewish News, which brings you our podcast as well. Uh, You can find our podcast on the cjn website uh, cjnews.com also on the cj podcast facebook page although i didn't think we i think we actually missed posting it last time so i have to be more careful about that and as always find us on twitter at menschwarmers uh we're there for all your hottest uh, s- jewish sports takes on twitter
0: that's right and don't forget to find us subscribe on itunes subscribe on stitcher subscribe on spotify subscribe on zencast subscribe yeah, wherever, on google podcast wherever you have you on uh everywhere else yeah
1: um, so, Gabe, not much has changed in the last couple of weeks. I, I'm speaking a little better. My mouth's healed yeah, up somewhat. Yeah, your, your grill uh, looks a little Yeah, I still have the brace better. in there. Hopefully it's coming out on Monday um, in a couple of days, so we'll see. Uh, but not much has changed in the larger sports and Jews world in the sense that uh, it is still the dog days of summer. Yep. Not a lot going on. We do talk to Marvin about uh, about Jews and tennis. Yep. Um, one notable thing, uh, follow up from our last podcast, we talked about Antonio Brown uh, with the synagogue in his house. Antonio Brown is now missing from the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> Uh, apparently, the story came out yesterday that uh, and uh, Antonio Brown, for for those who haven't didn't catch our last our last episode, not Jewish, but owns a house with a synagogue in it for he, for various reasons. He
0: bought a house in Miami and he kept the synagogue as his ark and everything. And I think his minion of hangers on uh, blesses up in there.
1: So since we last talked about him, there've been two big developments. The first one is that he got frostbite in the end of July by uh, very th- impressive. Yeah, very impressive. By forgetting to or not wearing the proper shoes in a cryptotherapy tank of some sort. Cryotherapy. Cryotherapy
0: cryptotherapy would be really cool.
1: Cryptotherapy would be some sort Just of – dying. Just they
0: bury you alive and you got to get out of it. That's cryptotherapy. No,
1: cryptotherapy is like they bury you in Bitcoin and it yeah, regenerate. <laughs> you. Sorry for cryotherapy uh, treatment. that he got frostbite, and then he was apparently unable to be found by the Oakland Raiders. And the story the story came out because last... he was in
0: his, his crypto coffin.
1: <laughs> the story came out last night that the reason he is upset with the Raiders is because he refuses to wear anything but his old helmet. And apparently, he says the new helmets they have like block his vision. So like he's refusing to report until they let him wear his old helmet. So, hmm. uh, you know, they should check it. They should check the synagogue if they want to yeah. find him. I That's mean, right. Uh, it was Tisha Bav yesterday, so maybe he was there. Ah, it was uh, Tisha Pro- Bav. Pro-
0: well, I got a story for you and some thoughts. All right, let me hear it. Driving through America on this past vacation, yep. it occurred to me we spent a lot of time browsing through Christian radio. Sure. And then I led me to think there's a lot of religious radio out there. Are we the Jewish version of that? Uh, In, in as much as anything can be the Jewish version of
1: that. I mean, well, Christian I think- radio is like... A lot of preaching. Like, there's music sometimes, and there's a whole genre of Christian music. Yeah, both uh, rock and country, <laughs> hip hop, I
0: guess. There's and like Christian soul. There's a lot like Kirk Franklin. Yeah, it's a, a lot b- of yeah. gospel. Yeah,
1: yeah. I feel the way I, I I like to echo the words of Hank Hill about Christian rock. You're not making Christianity better. You're just making rock and r- roll worse.
0: Right. Well, may like certainly like NPR. That's Jewish radio. Like Terry Gross is <laughs> is the Kirk Franklin of the radio.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, as much as we're trying to be unique and being a uh, podcast about Jews and sports, we are like many podcasts hosted by Jews and about <laughs> sports. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess we're as close as a thing there is to to being Jewish radio. I mean, you could put up a playlist of us and our sister podcast, the Canadian Jewish Schmooze and uh, Tablets on Orthodox, and uh, I don't know what other Jewish podcasts are out there. I think Forward
0: does a yeah. I mean, you call it Fresh Air and This American Life. Well, those are. Those are, I mean, This American Life, slice of life stories that Jews like to hear about. Jewish,
1: but not Jewish-exclusive. Right,
0: no, it's not Jewish-exclusive, for sure. Though, it was really great listening to this Christian radio and how much it it sort of is like regular radio, the same way we talk about the Canadian Jewish Prize. The radio person, and I, I totally honest said this, in the regular, you know, Christian voice, we're here to represent our Lord Jesus Christ, be happy with them, and... It's our three o'clock contest, the fourth caller to call in and tell us how many lepers thanked Jesus. Uh, what do they
1: get salvation?
0: I think they get maybe uh <laughs> yeah, probably they they get a free pass to heaven <laughs> and so the the person spoke that, and that was the contest and and we're running something similar, so it made me think of us
1: why do, why are you listening to that in the first place? I mean it's just
0: you know you're bored, you're driving for seven hours. Yeah, hitting the scan button Yeah, that's true But I, I was saying to our producer earlier I was hoping it would happen in like a real goofy radio voice Like a, I, do they have like a morning zoo Like a Carlos and the Chicken but for Christianity Oh, it's uh, Ezekiel and the uh, uh, the Antelope out here <laughs> and, the, and the Golden Ram Ezekiel and the Golden Ram A
1: lot of like uh, queued up sound clips That are just like different pieces of the sermon on the <laughs> mount And things like that
0: <laughs> That's right uh, There'll be an insult And then you'll hear like a booming God laugh <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, th- that must exist to a certain degree. I don't know if there's drive time Christian radio. I don't know what they do during drive time. I Probably assume something. they do
0: something drive time during Christian radio, but you could have our version. We could have a contest. Uh, the for- the uh, Let's do it in a radio voice. <clears throat> hey, the fourth caller into the uh, CJN podcast to tell us how many times did Abraham try and kill Isaac. No, should
1: be sportswoman. We would be like, tell us the career home run total of Hank Greenberg. The fourth Ooh. caller is going to get through. Yeah, that's right. And what do you win?
0: A blueberry bun from the Open Window Bakery. <laughs>
1: I guess so. Um, yeah, anything else going on in the sports world uh, we should cover this week? I mean, the I Mets have been hot. And not, not, not anything Jewish particularly. Jewish owners, obviously. I bet Seinfeld
0: is really happy. Yeah, I
1: feel like the, the Mets are the, the default Jewish team. Uh, I think so, too. As far as
0: it goes. Uh, uh, we sort of... Jamie and I have been to Yankees and Mets games together. It seems like the Yankees are the team of the Italian fans and the Mets are the team of the Jewish fans. Yeah,
1: I mean, in so much as that line exists altogether these days. uh, Definitely definitely more Jewish Mets fans.
0: Yeah, Um, They're doing hot. Uh, I I put out the flag to our new friend Michael Rotherman of Duke University Baseball and the Chatham Anglers Cape Cod League team. He did not respond. Okay. That's Uh, something. We're going to keep going after him. Uh, So if you're listening to this, if you – are or no Duke catcher Mike Rotherman, please let us know. I think that's about it for this week. Uh, we'll move
1: on to our conversation now with uh, Marvin Glassman.
0: We're here with uh, Marvin Glassman, tennis historian, expert, and fellow mensch. Uh, happy to be here in the Canadian Jewish News studios, uh, recording sort of amongst the archives of our past and uh, Jewish news, Jewish sports, and happy to be here... Uh, and just in time for the U.S. Open, the Rogers Cup, currently going on in Canada, uh, Marvin Glassman, about tennis Jewish history. Before the uh, show started, just before we turn on the mics, Marvin was talking a little bit about, I should say, we were all talking a little bit about sort of the start of tennis uh, and, and Judaism together. Uh, we view... Uh, sort of, we, we talked earlier about boxing as a way out of the ghetto um, for poor Jewish athletes, we talked about two weeks ago, and tennis was really quite different. You want to tell us a little bit about that, Marvin? Yeah,
2: there's one common thing with tennis then and tennis now. It has always been and always will be a very, very expensive sport. Very, very few athletes, Jewish or non-Jewish, are into tennis Will we'll do will do anything at all without great financial support from their parents. So basically, I would say the greatest people, the first question people ask me, who's the greatest Jewish tennis player of all time? And the way this uh, this sport works is you're judged by winning the Grand Slams and only the Grand Slams. Sure. So we have one Jewish player, the only one that won two Grand Slams. His name was Dick Savitt. He won Wimbledon in 1951 and the Australian Open in 1951 mm-hmm. he also won this tournament in those days before uh, corporate sponsorship it was called the canadian open in 1952 and what happened in his era dick basically learned to kind of play tennis on his own we had the situation where we're in an era in the in the 1950s that jews basically were not allowed in many many american and canadian I'm, i hate to say country clubs it was a sport unlike the boxing that you really had to be rich catered for the elite mm-hmm. you had you did something else for a living whatever it was and you played tennis leisurely so i'm not trying to knock the amateur era but we're talking that once 1968 opened up the doors for all the for all the athletes that were good in tennis to finally receive money and that was a whole different thing but dick Savitt really was significant because once he won Wimbledon and the Australian Open, it became less fashionable, if you want to use that word, or, or guilt, especially after what happened in World War II, for country clubs to say, we don't allow Jews anymore. Right. And okay. you got to remember the affluence was starting to increase all over America, Canada, yep. moving into the suburbs, things like that. So the, 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 the discrimination against blacks, Jews, and country clubs was starting slowly, but was starting to receive. And what happened is that as we get into now, let's talk about the era that is, uh, not the amateur, the professional era, more and more Jews got better at tennis, used it as a way to get a scholarship to very expensive American universities. And from there, they went on the pro tour. Mm -hmm. So we'll start in the 1970s, we have at least a minimum of 10 Jewish tennis players that made the world top 10. None of them, unfortunately, won the Grand Slams. Right. So you can't put them in the same situation as Sabbath. But the one, when, when I far, first started covering tennis for Canadian Jewish News back in 1981, I would look at the draw sheet, 64, and routinely you would see four or five Jewish players in it. Mm-hmm. And when you consider the small size of our population and consider comparing to team sports, where, you know, when you have a roster team, there's 40. The fact that you could have only 100 in the world make a living out of this, and at least 15 or 20 are Jews, that's that's another a example larry. of overrepresentation. Mm-hmm. And with that
1: era in the 70s, we're talking about probably Jew- Jewish people who grew up playing at, at either Jewish or Gentile country clubs or mixed country right. clubs. But but there was a the pro- proliferation of, of not exclusively Jewish necessarily, but Jewish tinged country clubs. Uh, you know, yeah. we have those in Toronto as well. Um, and probably Jewish summer camps, uh, Jewish resorts in the Catskills, things like that probably encouraged people to play tennis at a, at a time when there wasn't necessarily access to, to the you know, restricted country clubs.
2: Yeah, yeah. And as that era grew, grew in, some of them became stars, some of them very, very well-known. Harold Solomon, for example, won 22 tennis titles. Tom Walker, who won this tournament uh, in 1973, he won 30. And then we had uh, Brian Gottfried that had won 30 titles. And then as we get into the 80s, some of the more familiar names that you may b- be familiar with, we had uh, Brian Teacher who won the Australian Open, right. Elliot Telcher, Brad Gilbert, Aaron and J. Berger. And we had a phenomenal rung that Jews, mm-hmm. there were Jews in the world top 10 from the era of 1970s to 1990s. After 1990, it started to go down. <laughs> and then we have a situation with Israel. I have to bring that in. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because what happened with Savitt, we didn't talk about discrimination against him. Back in 51, after he won Wilburton and Australian Open, he was a victim of uh, discrimination, although he wouldn't say that because the United States Davis Cup team captain. Ironically enough, it was Brooks Shields' grandfather, Frank Shields. <laughs> That's wow. his name. Yeah. He said, "Savage can't be on the team. And, and everyone was saying, why did it happen? We're talking about the writers of the era. I, I didn't know him. And yeah. even the late Arthur Ashe wrote in his book, it was, a bla- it was blatant anti-Semitism. So, so you ha- had that as a little bit of a hinge, but also as a rally call, so to speak, for uh, others to get involved.
1: And I, didn't, na- yeah, go ahead. I didn't know Brooke Shields had a tennis uh, background as well as a tennis personal life.
0: She was married to Andre Agassi. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. that led that maybe, maybe to it. it. I was going to say that means, unfortunately, Dick Savitt was stuck by Frank Shields in the blue lagoon right. of right. tennis anti-Semitism. <laughs> Yikes.
1: <laughs> that, that was a long walk. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: um, so as the, the time went on, I mean, we, we don't think of there being a ton of uh, Jewish tennis players currently. That's sort of receded. But I think that's sort of indicative of, of who's – come up in the tennis world recently I, certainly in the men's game there haven't really been any big american champions uh or, or north american champions since uh since the since the 90s and early 2000s right? no
2: but 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 i will make some exception that i alluded to which was israel because oh, you do right. you did have three significant players and by the way all the american jewish players and i don't want to say they're typical athletes but you're so involved in the sport many of them are not going to be orthodox because you're going to lose the tournament but a lot of them once we had there was a pro on the pro tour tour site they went to tel aviv and all the jewish players harold solomon brad gilbert they all went to compete okay so they really showed and Mm -hmm. usually when you compete in israel i don't say you get back your prize money the expectation as a pro is that you make a very big donation to the israel tennis center sure by the way that's what Savit did in his later years Mm -hmm. so uh going to israel we have Three significant players. One of them, it was on the women's side, Shahar pier who got to the quarterfinals of uh, two Grand Slams okay. and the Canadian Open, and she was a victim of discrimination in 2009. She went to Dubai, freely expecting the to sure. tournament director said so yeah. you could go there. Then a government official say, we can't give you a visa. You're from Israel, right? And the floodgates opened again. Now the the tournament director, to be fair. He, w- he was going to stop the tournament, and all the women were going to pack up. But they asked Shahar, what should we do? Shahar said uh, that sports and politics should never mix. I don't want to be the issue here. Go ahead right. and do it. Mm-hmm. And Venus Williams, who ended up winning that tournament, made a big speech saying, I donate my, my gratitude and and all my sentiment to Shahar Peer. And what happened, the, do- the WTA, Women's Ten Association, they find the tournament $300,000, said if – Another incident like that, you would be banned from the tournament. And they Mm -hmm. allowed Shabhar peer entry for the next five years, even though her ranking declined. So the year after, she was a semifinalist. But she had to be on her own court. That's how bad it is to go to those countries as an Israeli because they were afraid that she was going to be in center court that a lot of the protesters were going to get to her. And remember, Monica Seles got stabbed. Mm -hmm. Tennis had a bad rap in terms of having good security. I think it was a fan who was in love with her. I thought that was the story. Maybe I'm wrong. No, it was a fan that may have been in love with Steffi Graf. It ah, was a German, was with, yes. not, not having anti-German sentiment. It was a German that stabbed her, and he said he did it because he was concerned that Monica would ascend to be number one in the yes. world, okay, and yes. Steffi had that rank.
1: And she was out of tennis for a year or so, I think, when she was recovering, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, a lot. and she came back in she Toronto back. in right. 1995. Right. I think but, I
0: remember
1: my cousin cousin going to that
0: um, she had a later comeback later on in her career she too. she's never the same Bill was never was the good. same yeah of course speaking of monica sellis or moving on so with that uh, shahar peer issue uh, does that mean she had to play without a crowd just on an empty court
2: on that particular uh, court my understanding was there were very few spectators i mm-hmm. won't say it was completely
0: empty maybe there was, but everyone had to be cleared by security right it's like I mean, it's reminiscent of times in European soccer. When, you know, I uh, don't, I, I don't know if you want you
2: want to discuss this or not. It's another issue, but I'm personally disappointed that the tennis bodies basically don't condemn Dubai. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. They have the worldwide sponsor, and they don't treat women there. Yeah, we're not even talking about uh, equally and. Women's tennis always talks about Billie Jean King and all these people being out, but yet sure. they have that big tournament there. You know, it's all about money. Yeah. Of I, I, I think that's you know. that's
1: an ongoing issue in tennis and, and other sports as well. Yeah. Most of the sports that have, uh, you know, the tennis style breakdown of, you know, uh, tournaments in different places, golf, tennis, things like that, yeah. where uh, these sort of incredibly repressive regimes in parts of the world that, you know, are anti-Semitic in some ways, anti-Israel certainly, and anti-women overwhelmingly uh are allowed to sort of host host the, the the toast of the town and the toast of the sport mm-hmm. in these places and, and and there hasn't been a lot of reckoning with it because there's been so much money coming in i mean yep. the world cup's going to be in qatar and, and qatar in Qatar in two years yeah and uh, three years and uh you know there's all kinds of problems associated with that i mean israel's not going to qualify but who knows if they'd be allowed to play i mean sure they give their assurances that they can but like the story you were telling about Shahar Pierce uh, you know you never know what's going to happen when you get there. Well, the yeah, wonderful thing
2: though, and I want to mention just one other Israeli tennis name because it's significant, both both at the Rogers Cup and what he did. We have one Israeli, he's now retired named Andy Ram. We had an all-Israeli team. He teamed with Jonathan Erlich. They won the doubles mm-hmm. at uh, Australia, I think it was 2005, maybe off. And in the Rogers Cup, they got to be a finalist twice, 2005, 2000. But Andy Ram basically was a mixed doubles champion at all the Grand Slams except the U.S. Open. In other words, he won mixed doubles for Israel, French Open, Australia. Right. Wimbledon. Who was he paired with? A variety of women. Right, okay, uh, you, you you wouldn't know them. Natalie Dechy, Franz Zarona, Uh, she he won Wimbledon with I forgot who who he won Australia. But the significant thing that a lot of people don't understand is that in North America, we know that the popular sports in Israel are basketball and soccer, but we don't know them because they don't come here. Mm-hmm. Right. In tennis, it's the one world sport where the players travel and everybody knows them. So both Shahar and Andy Ram, they always told me whenever they came to Toronto new york they're embraced by jewish communities they have consulates that have parties for them sure. mm-hmm. so it really becomes an, an ethnic and a very proud celebration of sports of israel because they're the only israeli athletes that ever come to north america so
0: that's something we hear about uh, from a lot of professional athletes and uh, in a lot of sports there's stories of baseball players who there's a baseball player named ike davis who very famously uh played in New York and was revered by the Jewish community there. And he it helped him sort of find and embrace his Judaism because in every town he went to, there'd be Jewish fans cheering for him. And it didn't matter where he was or what team he was playing for, but Jews would support him.
2: Yeah. As a matter of fact, i got to tell you a funny story. Brian Teacher, he was playing against Shlomo Glickson, one of the Israeli things, that but they didn't Jewish. know that Teacher was Jewish. So he said... He said, What's happening here? He said, All the people in the yard, they're rooting for Shlomo. I bet if some of them knew I was a Jew, I would have the crowd have an equal (laughs) balance. (laughs) That was funny.
0: No, for sure. Just
1: going back to something we mentioned, touched briefly on before. There haven't been a lot of homegrown North American talents in the last couple decades. I mean, and we've talked about this before in the podcast that in Canada, you know, the big people coming up in tennis are all immigrants or the children of immigrants. With Denis Shapovalov, Milos Raonic, Bianca Andreescu, who's playing today. Uh, so Felix Ogier, F- 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 Felix uh, is I think his dad's from Togo. Yeah. Uh, I think his mom's from Quebec. But you know, he had yeah. Part well, Camila
2: Georgi, who's Jewish, she has an unusual background because uh, her father is an Argentinian Jew. Okay. And before she hmm. was selected to play for it- Italy on the Fed Cup team, her father recruited her maybe to go to Israel. But in the end, they didn't go to Israel because there was a lot more money coming from the Italian Federation.
1: Right. So I guess, you know, we probably don't have a lot of homegrown or not homegrown, but uh, a, a lot of North American Jewish talent that's not sort of coming from Israel or the former yeah. Soviet Union, things like that in the yeah. near future. And I guess that's OK as well. I mean, Shab- Shabavalov has obviously been something to watch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very he was exciting. born in Tel Aviv. Yeah. And then this is an old story I wrote in the paper a lot. But now, even though. And and it may offend a lot of our readers and listeners. This is a Jew that plays with a cross. I know. (laughs) Uh, It's a Greek word. But on the other hand, he also participates in a lot of fundraisers for the Israel Tennis Center. Mm -hmm. And the whole situation with him, he was born in Israel because his mother was a great tennis player. Right. But— so being a Soviet Jew, she applied to live there from the law. What is it? The law of return. Yep. And that's how she. And as a matter of fact, De- Dennis, before he was famous, he was expected to play for Canada at the Maccabee Games. Oh wow! Right. Before he had his big breakthrough. And uh,
0: from what I understand, he self identifies as both Jewish and Greek Orthodox.
2: Yeah, uh, a lot. Of, a lot of marketing agents told me <laughs> if he would say he was Jewish, he would get a lot, a little more endorsement money. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, we
0: know where our bread is buttered as a people.
1: Well, th- this podcast is taking a decidedly pro Shapovalov stance, and uh, <laughs> we 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 embrace him as a Jew, uh, mm-hmm. even if even if it's not always mutual. I mean, his he, his mother is his coach, and he grew up in Thornhill, Richmond. We got Hill, we got a, we know. got
2: another one from Argentina. It's called Diego Schwartzman, yeah. a very typical, more typical Jew, because he's short. Yeah, right. the short guy, a <laughs> lot of power, a lo- lot of speed. No, not yeah. not blonde. Yeah. Uh, and he's pretty good. I mean, he's been top twenty in the world for a ranked while. Ranked top I think. twenty. Well, yeah. he and Den- Dennis is actually ranked currently ten points below. But these rankings fluctuate every week for sure. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, Dennis hadn- didn't have a great tournament here or in Montreal at the Canadian Open. Yeah. Um, not like last year. Not like last year. Where and on the women's run. side, I, ha- I-, I have to make note: we have Sharon Fishman mm-hmm. that's making a comeback. She was oh, away wow. for two years. A lot of injuries, thinking of quitting the sport. She's engaged to another Jewish athlete, de- okay. fa- a Canadian figure skater deal in Moscow, which to make oh, a very wow, yeah, story short, yeah. he had a tragic accident. And he and Sharon had a, had a bond. They said, Sharon, I want you to go back, do your best after two years. So her aim right now is to make the Canadian Olympic team in tennis oh, wow. for 2020. Mm-hmm. And she did very well in doubles. She won a tournament in doubles. So her ranking now is ba- back in the top 50. In doubles? In doubles. So she may well, be competing with Bianca. Mm. and Bouchard oh, really cool. on the Canadian Olympic team, and Dabrowski. She's always been a very, very good double player. Right. Not good in singles, as unfortunately,
0: a part of our genes, she's pretty short. And and uh, as far as I know, I thought mixed doubles was joining the Olympics as well. Hope so. Mixed doubles is not that big. I mean, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, but it's. I think there's been a lot of financial incentive, from what I understand, for the stars to start coming back to it. And I think it is joining the Olympics coming up soon. I think it it'd be a good an Olympic sport in
1: the same way that, like, a, a Olympic mixed doubles curling, which doesn't
0: yeah. doesn't exist at all. I mean,
1: mixed doubles tennis at least has a history of being a real thing. But, but it gives the, the stars a chance to shine, even if it's not the purest. I don't know, athletic endeavor or whatever. Like it's a great, it's a great well, it's event always for, a
2: great contrast because so right. many tournaments uh this tournament they wanted to make revenue in Montreal, and Toronto, mm-hmm. but so many of the events now are combined. Yeah. Right. And what you have is you have the, the situation different style of the game and let's face it Maria Sharapova, and many others on the tour. They're glamorous. I've seen these women do fashion shows. Sure. And some of the men could be models and there's that that kind of allure, especially with Young boys Absolutely Everyone you
0: know. Right We get everyone on the Court together Pay right. to see the stars And we can dream Of a Sharon Fishman Denis Shapovalov Mixed doubles team For an all Jewish All Canadian group That would really to, be something To yep. take home some medals In uh, Tokyo
1: she went to my high school. We went to high school together. You Actually, and she I don't know if then. I ever met her, but I think she was a year or two behind me. Oh, but, no But uh, she
0: definitely went to Forest
1: Hill for a Forest couple Stills. years. Forest Hill. She's from Forest Hill. Yeah.
2: Her, her parents were, were were born in Romania. Then they went to Israel. Mm-hmm. And then they went to Toronto.
1: Okay. So another typical. Or, another. Yeah. Uh, typical. Typ- uh, you know, yeah. Immigrant story uh, t- towards doing that. And, you know, that's interesting to see from all, all kinds of ways. I mean, one person who we haven't talked about, who is not Jewish per se, but has some Jewish background. I see you nodding your head. I think you know who I'm going to talk about is Pete Sampras, who's uh, maternal grandmother. Sorry, paternal Grandmother is yeah. Jewish, so not Jewish by uh, any technical standards, and I think group group Christian. And he's uh, the David
0: Beckham type Jewish. David Beckham type <laughs>
1: Jewish, but I mean, Pete Sampras won what is it, f- twelve Grand Slams in his career? Fourteen. Fourteen. So a quarter of that is you know two two and a half. <laughs> that's yeah, that's three and a, three and a quarter. That's not bad.
2: Yeah. Three if, and you a want, half? if you want to go back to uh, you know grandfather, great grandfather, we're, we're going to find a lot more. Well, <laughs> you
1: know, we're, we're we cast a wide we cast a wide net here. I mean. Yeah. You know, uh, as much as we try and uh, resist the joke about the, the thin pamphlet on Jewish sports heroes, sometimes we need to do, do a little digging to find out who's a Jew and, and who might have course, some Jewish connection. but To
2: me, tennis is still amazing because to have Jews in the world top 10 for 20 years, right. from the 1970s to 90s, I forgot to mention the female side, Julie Heldman, mm-hmm. who won this, the only Jewish woman that won the tournament in 1965.
0: Okay. And in the last 20, 25 years, I can think of Marty Fish, uh who is he's not jewish he's not jewish no i have a name, no, like marty English. fish that's no. a, he that's married a, a jewish okay. woman wow. his children will woman. be jewish he's a nice guy yeah uh, a lot of people ask him including me but he's not jewish he's that's, not a, that's jewish. what we call by him. the name anymore you can't right. tell by the name that's what very we call a uh, uh, mike jacobs all-star which <laughs> is some, sounds like he's jewish but he's not <laughs> yeah. and uh, from what i know he's well practiced in the jewish sport of anxiety <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and Anna Smashnova, who is a, a Soviet Israeli, uh, yeah,
1: I remember a, she, her. She had a significant uh, career. That as was well. the
2: next great Israeli female player, not as high as ranking as Shahar. Shahar, uh, her, she peaked at number eleven in the world. Okay, but I Smash think Smashnova won more titles. Somewhere in the teens, twelve. No, but the thing is, she won twelve of thirteen tournaments. Okay, not. Not the Grand Slams, unfortunately, right. or everyone would hear it. And it had a compelling name, right? But was a short player. Oh yeah, no, she really no had race. one of the great
1: tennis names of all right. time. Smash Nova's is pretty right. great since uh, the the best name since, or the best name until uh, tennis Sandgren came around. Yeah,
0: <laughs> the most apt apt tennis name there is. Yeah, and uh, tennis Sandgren, not I would assume he's not a big fan of the Jews. Well, he is a he's a real MAGA bro.
1: Yeah, uh, he's a real Trump guy. Real Trump guy.
0: Yeah. Well, you know the odd thing when you look at individual sports
2: the best ways to make a living in that would be golf and tennis and this is what i find so shocking i uh, know we're not talking about jews and golf but if you look at golf more and more people are playing golf as opposed to tennis because you get older it's a little harder right mm-hmm. but yet you on know, the pro tour not that many jews overall. no not no. that many we talked rare. about them a little bit here and there i'm not sure
1: what the reason is um maybe just where people grow up or or the Areas where Jews tend to live aren't, aren't necessarily as warm. I feel like to really be a pro tennis player, you sort of have to grow up in, in somewhere in California or Arizona. Obviously, there are Jews there, but. Uh, and, but now we have bubbles, so that's.
0: that's,
2: uh, true. that's changing and I have a little bias because as a youngster, you say, okay, tennis is athletic. When you look at golf, it's very sedentary, and as a kid, you say, God, this is boring as hell, you know? <laughs> it could very Hit well a little be. ball. I do that in miniature golf, but you don't have that excitement. <laughs> yes. Tennis or other or things, there's no running, you know well, what I mean? You like to run. Absolutely, right?
0: and I also think, like you said, with tennis, it's sort of a, a the generation is now growing into golf as in uh, – the Jews are being allowed in a lot more places and a lot more country clubs and golf clubs than they were maybe two, three generations ago. Um, so now that hey, generational were, golf playing is happening.
1: There were restricted golf clubs in Toronto within a, gener- a generation ago, 20, 30, 20, 25 years ago, Rosedale was still fighting to keep Jews out. So mm-hmm. it's not as though this is so distant. And, you know, as you said, the Jews, a lot of the Jews coming, out of, coming into the tennis world were coming from Jewish country clubs, Jewish yep. summer camps, things like that. I mean, yeah,
2: Montreal had, was Elmridge. Right. As I recall.
1: Yeah, in Oakdale here and uh, other ones here as well. But, uh, I mean, you know, I went to Jewish summer camp. We had plenty of tennis courts. It, it probably declined in popularity. I think, like, when the camps were built in the 60s and 70s, I think having tennis courts was, like, you know, a real way to sell to people. But uh, in the last 10, 15, 20 years, it's probably but, not as big as But, you home. know, unlike, still football,
2: there. unlike football where you get injured or hockey as sure. Old. The helmets are the the wonderful thing about a youngster playing tennis and doing very well. I mean, the pro career is always going to be hard. You're going to get that scholarship. There's so many universities in the United States that will give you one if you have that talent. So it's right. good that Tennis Canada is recruiting. Um, I think there was a, a Jewish player named David Volson. He never really amounted to anything in terms of his tennis because he's ranked below a thousand. Okay. Which is, you know, you got to kiss a goodbye. But I think. He got a university scholarship. And again, he was one of those people, father born in Russia, an immigrant. But right. didn't have that success. So,
0: Okay. Before you go, we'd love to hear some quick thoughts on the rise, fall, and disgrace of one Justin Gimelstaub. For those who aren't familiar in our audience, Justin Gimelstaub was, was a notable Jewish doubles tennis player who has sort of, in the last few years, been had some legal troubles and some violence committed by him in his past and being, being sort of shamed out of the sport um, from his spot, he lost a spot on the ATB board, I
2: believe. Well, uh, let's make sure we're we're talking about the right person. Wayne Odesnyk was arrested for home and growth, and he was thrown out because of a growth. Justin Gimelstall yeah. is today a commentator on the American Tennis yeah. Channel. Um He was arrested for beating somebody up. I didn't know oh. that. Well, shame on him. Yeah. Uh, he basically had the paternal link. His father's mm-hmm. Jewish mother, not. Um... He identified with being a Jew. I don't want to say for the wrong reasons because it worked through his marketing advantage. Interesting. In a name like Gimelstab, it works when you're in New York. Mm-hmm. But he really wasn't raised in it. He was top 80. Wasn't as good as the era from the 1970s and 90s. Yeah. Um, nice guy, but you know him better, so <laughs> nice guys. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Nice guys publicly, we don't know about their private lives. I, I, and, um, you know, it's unfortunate if what you're saying uh, would happen with them. I wasn't that familiar, but I never really paid that much attention to Justin because he wasn't really as ever big a, a prominent story for me as the other Jews. He would always lose first round, <laughs> second round right okay. away. We're talking about eight or nine years, got a little better. He basically hanged on because he coached a lot of prominent players. I think he worked with Jack Sock and John Isner for a while.
1: Sure. Jack Isner is uh, almost on the on the Mike Jacobs All-Stars. It almost sounds like a Jew. If he had an yeah. E at the beginning of his name. Well, a name. lot
2: of Jews pronounce it Eisner. No, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, my name is Isner. <laughs> Eisner. Right. And how many Jews are there close to seven foot tall? Right. <laughs> Good point. Very
0: few. So we've talked a little bit about Denis Pavlov and Bianca Andreescu, the latter of which is not by any means Jewish, but they are Canadian. And are there any uh, Jewish up-and-coming tennis players you think? We, we, should,
2: we should mention that Bianca is going for that record of uh, the first Canadian since 1969 to win, but it must be noted that the one that ended up in the finalists, Her name is Vicky Berner. She passed away, was actually a Jewish-Canadian from Vancouver. Really? Played for the Canadian Fed Cup team in the early 1960s, passed Mm -hmm. away a couple years ago at age 74, and uh, was one of the very few Canadian Jews that made it to the WTA Tour. We're talking about the Billie Jean King, Chris Everett era.
0: Well, hmm. uh, good for
2: her? Yeah, so good for her. Now, you're asking me about up and coming. Yeah. You know, you never know about up and coming because two years ago, we never heard of Bianca. What happens is that you have promising talent, and we're talking about thousands of people. Right. A lot mm-hmm. of youngsters, you say you have a good hand, good high coronation. Then the question is, who's your coach? How disciplined is the child going to be? How, how much time are they going to put in? And then, like everything else when you're a your child, why go into tennis? Right. Because you're going to get a scholarship you could get you could get if you're a really good athlete you could get a contract from a football team, hockey team. Tennis, there's mm-hmm. no guarantees. You go up. Tennis, you only get paid if you win. There's right. no guaranteed money. There's no sitting on the bench on the baseball team being a utility infielder. Right. <laughs> so, so there's no sign of risk. So it's hard to say because a lot of them, everyone is a talent, including Serena Venus, a 9 or 10, but we didn't take them seriously until they started winning. You only really know when you're 17 or 18. Right now there isn't anybody in the pipeline, but you never know. And I assume for men,
1: uh, especially, a lot of it has to do with how your body develops, ha- how much you, how tall you get, because you know, between the ages of, like fourteen and seventeen,
2: someone could shoot up a foot easily, and that could totally change your game. And you got to be lucky with the body. When mm-hmm. you look at Milos Raonic's career, I mean, yeah, he got to the Wimbledon final, but but including what happened this week, he's always injured, right? He's yeah. injured, and hasn't quite hit that height that we expected him. He's to. a
0: very stretched out guy. He's tall and lanky, but it's a did. little stocky too.
2: Yeah, oh
1: yeah. So he's a big guy. Yeah. But, you know, we still have Chapeau, He's young. He's yeah. uh, promising. Didn't have a great Canadian Open, but still lots in his future. And and still. it might be
2: exciting for Sharon to get into mm-hmm. the Olympics. We could all watch for that. Absolutely. And, and again, she's 28. Uh, I don't really think she'll ever get back to being in the, in the top 100 in the singles. But in doubles, a lot of them make
0: a good living out of doubles. You know, Stan Wawrinka didn't peak until he was 28. So yeah. there's time. Yep. Okay, well, I think we're going to end it there. Thanks again Thanks for, coming for coming in. Thanks very much
2: for coming in. You're welcome. It was fun. Enjoy, Thank- enjoy the semifinals, uh, seeing Bianca play. Yes, and look for my uh, two articles on the Toronto and Montreal tournament in the Canadian Jewish News in the up- upcoming weeks. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And we'll post a link to that in our, uh our Twitter page and our show page. Thanks, Thanks. so much. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, thanks again to Marvin Glassman for joining us today for our first uh, in-person interview. Yeah, Um, that's our
0: show for this fortnight.
1: Again, please like Mm -hmm. and subscribe. Uh, Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh, follow us on Facebook and, and Twitter.
0: That's right. Any uh interesting tweets you have made recently? Uh mostly changed? just
1: about Antonio Brown's feet and things okay. like that. Okay. And and things uh, of that nature. And things of that nature. Uh yeah. But uh join us back in a couple weeks. Uh we'll probably be talking about football preseason, getting Start ready to football, yeah. football season and the Jews in the NFL.
0: Uh that's right. We've learned the New York Times New York Times, New York Giants quarterback, uh, Mike future Mike Jacobs All Star we could talk about. Who? Daniel Jones? I don't think he's Jewish. Jewish looking. Uh,
1: he sort of looks goofy. It looks like Eli. Yeah. All right. Well, th- we'll th- get join there. us back for next time when we, we break down uh, how every New York Giants quarterback looks. <laughs> the your <laughs> aspects of yeah, their we'll, faces. We'll, we'll break down the, the most Jewish-looking uh, professional quarterbacks. Uh, until then, thanks for joining us. We're the warmers. Yep.